Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. We are saying as long as there is breath in our bodies, we will not forget you. If we don't deal with this issue now, the problem will get bigger. The lack of empathy. These women need to get over themselves. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. At some stage this morning, I will read out the Lord Mayor's letter to his Limerick counterpart. It's brilliant, I got to say. It's brilliant. Uh, and well done to our Lord Mayor, uh, Councillor Colum Kelleher, for coming up with it to warm us up as we head for the All Ireland hurling final on Sunday. Cork versus Limerick. And we'll be doing our own part to. Uh, to build up to that on the opinion over the next couple of days but definitely going to give that letter a read it's brilliant it really really is brilliant and so and you know in the midst of all the the horrible news coming from Afghanistan and the, the worrying comments being made this morning by people like Dr. Mary Favier about COVID it's nice to have a little bit of brightness a little bit of fun in, in the midst of it all so I'll get to that in the course of the morning but I want to start today Tuesday with Afghanistan and yesterday morning I was doing my best in between the other stuff on the programme to describe to you the scenes that we were getting from Kabul and in particular that scene from the airport where people were clinging onto, jumping up and clinging onto an airplane as it was taking off from the airport in Kabul. We now learn that inside that plane, which cargo plane, there was like 630 or 40 people crammed into the belly of that thing. And then dozens more people literally trying to climb onto it as it taxied down the runway. And then we thought originally it wasn't real, but it was, it was verified where you do these things. As the plane took off from the airport in Kabul, so desperate were these people that they were clinging on to the undercarriage of the airport. There are horrific clips of people falling, obviously falling to their deaths from the plane as it took off. And it reminded me, certainly, and anybody who can remember the day watching it live, it reminded me of things we last saw on 9-11. 
want to speak a little bit about Afghanistan this morning to, to kick us off and think a little bit about it and think about what we can do. Is there anything we as ordinary people here in Cork, here in Ireland can do for these misfortunes in Afghanistan? Is there anything that we can do? Can we possibly understand what is going on? Have we any concept of what is going on in their country right now? And I, I want to begin by hearing from someone who's from Cork. Her name is Dr. Natasha Underhill and she has researched and written extensively on how terrorism develops, how people are radicalised into terrorism and the politics in general of insurgency and state failure. Uh, She published a book a number of years ago called Countering Global Terrorism and Insurgency and she wrote about Middle East terrorism, international relations, particularly Pakistan, Afghanistan and Iraq. So she has well and truly researched these areas and their history. So just to set the scene before we talk more about Afghanistan and how we maybe can help these misfortunate people, I've been speaking with Dr. Natasha Underhill. Natasha, thanks so much for taking our call. I guess let's start with the basics. What is or who are the Taliban and what do they stand for? Well, the Taliban were a group of students, and essentially the word Talib is students, um, that emerged after or during the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan in 1979 to 1989. And their initial reaction was to provide peace and stability and security to the people of Afghanistan. Now, the only issue there was that they were using a very extreme interpretation of Islam, the Sharia law, Mm. as their guiding principle. So they were one of these groups that emerged after um, the Soviet Union left in 1989 and fought their way into power. So by essentially by 1998, they had control over approximately 90% of Afghanistan by that point. So in terms of what they stand for, that was their initial belief that they wanted to be the controlling or the ruling power of Afghanistan and, and provide the people with security and safety, but through their interpretation of, of Islam. And then came the invasion and the war in the early noughties. So essentially, we only kind of really understood the Taliban post 9-11. So for us, I I suppose we we wouldn't have ever heard of them until we had the events that shook us in the West, which was the September 11th attacks. So what we had after that was we had the initial invasion of Afghanistan because the Taliban were linked to Al-Qaeda, the actors that carried out the attacks, because they had been providing them with safe havens and sanctuaries in Afghanistan. So it was kind of from that point onwards, we saw the Taliban as a significant threat to us in the West. Um, and I suppose we're, they're best known then for their extreme um, use of Sharia law, especially in terms of abuses against women and um, the, the civilians that, that they were in control of. So we've essentially been at war with them now since 2001. Um, in April, we had Biden announce that the US were putting the troops out of Afghanistan. And it's been from then to now we've seen how fast, how rapid their overtake of the country has been. When I asked you to be with us on the programme, your first response to me was that you saw this coming quite some time ago. Yeah, I think the biggest problem we have at the moment is we're all blinded by COVID. Everything that we hear in the news is COVID related. We haven't been paying attention, I suppose, in the West. This is not a sudden rise of the Taliban. And it may seem like they've just reemerged, but they haven't. Um, Afghanistan has never been Taliban free. 
no matter since 2001, since the invasion, there still has been active Taliban elements. We had them biding their time and um, having sanctuaries across the border in Pakistan. There have been continuous attacks and 2012 was a key example. It was a really high profile attack on NATO's Camp Bastion, one of the largest bases, US bases and NATO bases in Afghanistan. We had peace talks with them in 2013. That just gives you an idea of their standing within the country. Um, in 2015, they had already taken control of some major provinces like Kunduz. So they've been slowly spreading themselves back out across Afghanistan. We just haven't been paying attention. Those who, I suppose, are in the know or have studied the country would have known or would have seen it happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you talk about um, April this year to now, They've gone from controlling approximately 90 out of 398 districts to 345 of 398 districts, including now Kabul. So that's a massive spread in a very, very short amount of time for the group. We talk about they they operate to an extreme of Sharia law. Life as a woman or child under Sharia law. Have we any idea, Natasha, how tough that is? Like we hear all kinds of stories and you kind of go, that can't be true. But it is, isn't it? The sad thing is we will never fully understand the horrific nature of their application of Sharia law, especially when it comes to women and young girls. We've already heard reports now that they are literally taking young women, young girls, 12-year-olds, 13-year-olds as brides. So they've already been kidnapping young, young girls. Life for women under the Taliban regime was horrific is the only word I could probably use. Um the level of violence, the treatment against them, they had no life, essentially. They're not allowed to work, for example. They're not allowed to work. They're not allowed to be seen within their own homes. A prime example was they used to paint the windows of downstairs, the first floor windows, because you couldn't view a woman. If she was seen, she was beaten, not that you saw her. So it was, it was extreme. I mean, there were horror stories of women who had been attacked or raped, and then they were killed because they brought shame to their families. It's that kind of system. So it's extremely horrific. And I can only imagine the fear that the women in Afghanistan are under at the moment. The scenes that we are seeing over the weekend, people trying to climb onto an airplane as it's departing Kabul airport. Like that, that's almost beyond imagination. I think we really have to look internally at this as well and say we have so much criticism against what we call the immigrants coming in here on boats. But these people are willing to risk their lives hanging onto an aeroplane to get out of a country. That just shows you the level of fear and desperation. And this is at the point when we haven't even had real gunshots yet. I mean, keep in mind that the Taliban have now essentially taken over Afghanistan with little to no resistance. So this is just the beginning. This isn't even at the point where the true fear comes or the, 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 the true battle is coming. We haven't seen any of the application of violence yet. And the people are this afraid to live in, in, under their system. Should we be afraid here in the West of what this means for world history, for global future? We do. I mean, we live in a globalised world. We are so interlinked with every other country in the world. It doesn't matter how large or how small. And what happens in Afghanistan is going to have a knock-on effect. Um, We've seen support hubs, support cells for groups like ISIS, for example, all over the world. And we have so many of these people only too willing to carry out an act of violence in support of the cause or to attack what they see as the big evil, which is the West. So we can't think that what's happening in Afghanistan now is not going to have a knock-on effect for us here in the West. It's just a matter of time 
a lot of these cells, these sleeper cells, as they're known, are simply waiting for a catalyst. And this is the biggest catalyst they've had since the emergence of ISIS. And you and I have spoken before about us here in Ireland. We consider ourselves relatively safe from attacks from groups like this. Should we be more wary, given what's now brewing in Afghanistan? I think we always have to be wary. If you think back to the initial invasion of Afghanistan 2001 onwards, we had criticisms from the Middle East because we let Shannon be used as a base for a stopover. So we can't say that we have no role to play in any of this because every Western nation in some way, shape or form is open to attack now, is, is open to targeting for no matter what reason. It just takes the tiniest little um, rationale in the minds of these people to see us as, as a significant threat. So just because we live in Ireland does not mean that we are going to be immune from any of the knockover um, violence that's going to emerge from the situation. Looking at it purely from a humanitarian point of view, there's nothing we can do, is there? Or, or is there? As a nation, as a people, what can we do? I think one of the easiest things to do is get politically active contact a representative, contact someone in the foreign office, do something in relation to being able to help. I mean, Ireland, we are known as, I suppose, an open nation and we have a lot of history of peacekeeping. But at the same time, us as people do tend to feel that it's just me, what can I do? Simply sending an email or starting some kind of petition to say, you know, something needs to be done. Mm. We cannot stand alone. We can't stand aside and watch this disaster unfold in front of our eyes. It's going to get worse. This is just the initial step. We haven't seen the Taliban re-emerge. We haven't seen them apply their level of violence that we've seen in the past yet. So we can't just sit back. And I think if we take that route of thinking, well, it's happening over there, the problems are never going to get solved. Should we be taking in refugees from Afghanistan? Of course. I mean, without a doubt, this is, it's a global issue. We are citizens of the world as such. And I think Sadly, we've lost a bit of our compassion for people, I think. We've seen so many videos of people coming across the ocean on boats and running onto land and things like that. But we have to remember, the reality is death Mm. for these people. They're doing it out of desperation. Like we saw with the plane, someone is desperate enough to leave a country by hanging onto a plane that's taking off. We, We could never imagine that kind of desperation. Some people might fear, well, okay, the women and children, we, we give them shelter, but, but how do we know that the other guys won't sneak in? How do we know that you won't get a Taliban leader sneaking in under the guise of a refugee? People are nervous about that. I think there is, there's, I mean, the easy answer is we can't know. There is no way for us to know these things. But if you're going by that mentality, we would never help anybody. You know, I think yeah. we just have to, to to take the fact that these people are desperate for their lives. And if we take in 100 and we might get one bad one, I, I, I think it's a risk that we're going to have to, to, to balance up and kind of address internally as, as a nation state. But I do think you're right. Women and children really do need to be the priority at the moment, especially with the history of the Taliban and the way that they've treated women, especially in that country. We need to really look at ourselves and say, what can we do to help these people at the moment? Isn't this a colossal failure of foreign policy, the US, Britain and and NATO? This is an international foreign policy catastrophe, isn't it? 
Yeah, I think people people are automatically blaming the US straight away. And we have to remember, it's not just the US. Like you mentioned, NATO, the UK, the, the EU, everyone has a, a role to play in what's going on. When we invaded in 2001, for example, there was no exit strategy. It was getting get out. There was no nation building strategy in place. There was nothing there to say, we're going to come in and essentially disrupt your country and then we're just going to leave. So we have a role to play in what is actually going on at the moment. And we have to take that into consideration in terms of how we act. Now, the Biden administration withdrawing the troops in the way that he did, again, without any significant plan in place, has a massive, um, I suppose, role to play in this, in the current situation now that we're facing. Finally, Simon Coveney, of course, as you know, sits on the Security Council at the moment. What, what message should the minister be bringing to the table from the Irish people? I think the biggest message that we can send to the Afghan people is that we see you and we support you. I think that's what we have to do. We have to be seen to be supporting the people of Afghanistan. Um, politics is very messy and it's it, it's very hard when you're involved in international institutions like the EU and NATO and all of these things. But at the base level, we just have to make it clear to the people of Afghanistan that we see you and we are here for you. I think that's the biggest message that we can send as a country at the moment. All right. Natasha, thanks for being with us on the Opinion Line today. Thank you. No problem. Thank you. That's Dr. Natasha Underhill from Cork. Spent many years based in the UK. Now she's back lecturing at UCC in their Adult and Continuing Education Department. 1857-15996. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie Oldies and Irish on Cork's 96FM is the big Sunday show on your radio. Turn it up and take it easy with the best music mix for your Sunday morning. Welcome along to the programme. Lovely to be with you on a Sunday morning. Oldies and Irish with Derry O'Callaghan. Sundays, 10am to 2pm. With Douglas Court Shopping Centre. They've got everything you need and more. Visit douglascourt.ie. Cork's 96FM. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96FM. Let us talk now to Samim Shadwal, who is uh, living in, in Ireland, but originally from Afghanistan. Shamim, good morning to you. Uh, hello, good morning, PJ. Uh, thank you for being with us on the programme. How long is it with you or sin- since you were at home? How long is it since you were in Afghanistan? Um, well, I left uh, Afghanistan when I was uh, a, a very young age. Uh, I was about 11, 12 when I left my country. I was in Iran for many years and went back to Afghanistan and came came, came to Ireland. But uh, recently I've been twice uh, for the last uh, one year I've been in Afghanistan twice. I recently came back from Afghanistan about two weeks ago. Okay. And, and when you see what's unfolding now. Yes. Having been there only a couple of weeks ago, did yeah. anybody see this coming? Um, not really, not that urgent. So people were waiting for something like this, but uh, on the news was showing different things. Uh, America was saying different things. The government uh, was uh, there was saying different things. People uh, had n- n- not not really uh, waiting for these days. So we were, um, uh, people had hopes for the United uh, Nations, United States, 
they thought they will hand over Afghanistan peacefully mm-hmm. and they, they, they will hand over uh, the government and the oil facilities um, um, in, in, in a good way, not yeah. in this way. What was life like under the Americans, United Nations, when they were all there? What was how how different had life become in Afghanistan? Uh, the, the, the life was completely it was changed since two thousand and one. Um, what I remember, uh, it was ch- ch- changed, and people had hopes uh, to to build their country, to build their house, and lots of uh, refugees went back to Afghanistan from Iran from. Tajikistan from Pakistan, they went back to Afghanistan and they start living there. They 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 they, uh, they found a little job. There was a little job. There was a, some money that uh, uh, America put there. Uh, um, but uh, unfortunately, they, uh, the government <coughs> were there uh, wasn't the people government. It was American government. It yeah. was people. Um, uh, running the office, uh, which uh, people didn't vote for them, uh, uh, so they played in the, uh, different uh, games uh, the entire uh, year uh, for the last two decades. Yeah. And what you mean is, it, is it something that the government was really just a government supported by America? That it wasn't really a government of the Afghan people. It wasn't uh, uh, the government from Afghan people, not really, not really. So the people who were uh, running the office, they were all came from America, most of them. And there was a lot of um, American advisors. Uh, they, they were not given a chance to, to the people um, of Afghanistan. The two-time um, uh, voting election, it was a fake election. And somebody else won the election, uh, but America put by, by, by force somebody else. So this is the all result what we see now. Yeah. yeah. And what, was it a good life, though, under that government? I mean, it was improving, I expect. Uh, it, was, it was improving, definitely. It, it was improving, yes, uh, because there was, a, there was a little money, yes. Uh, yeah. uh, America put some money and all um, Western countries helping uh, uh, Afghanistan people, especially uh, Germany and France and uh, <clears throat> many other countries. Uh, they, they were uh, helping uh, people, but uh, I think um, America betrayed to all these uh, their allies and uh, soldiers and their own soldiers and their own people. Yeah, because by just leaving in the way that they have done, can you remember Samim life under the Taliban? You would have been much younger, obviously, but what was it like? What can you remember? Uh, I, I remember um, uh, a little bit uh, when I was under the Taliban rule. Uh, and uh, obviously, uh, I am very connected. Um, I, I tried many times to, to disconnect my, my own life from there, but I couldn't. Uh, I, I was reading and I was watching. Uh, uh, the life under the Taliban rule, it was extremely uh, sad and upset at, 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 and, and bad. So the things, um, it was, when, when, when I read a few things from Ireland, if I compare it, it was um, a state of the charge of the state, let's say two years back, 300 years back to Ireland, everything was ruling by the, by the mosques and by the uh, religious people. And, and, and those religious people, they were all ignorant people. And they were taking advice from somebody else, what we, what we know. And, and, and everything, so under the Taliban rule, um, uh, an ignorant uh, person, if, if, if they direct you to do this, you, ha- you had to do that. 
Yeah. So uh, it was like that. And for the women that you know and that you love, people like your mother and your family, have you sisters, for example? I have. I have two sisters. Sisters. They are living in Kabul. Yes. What was life? What was life like for them under the Taliban? And and, and how? it was it was bad. My my two sisters they were before the Taliban and they were working in the government. Uh, and when the Taliban came, they they laid um, off and they stayed at home. And uh, their children, um, they, they, women, they were not allowed to go to school. Uh, there were a few very little um, schools um, uh, and under the grounds. Mostly, the girls was going to were going to uh, to school at, uh, privately. Uh, but uh, it was f f f. If Taliban knew this, <laughs> you you probably the teacher would be killed, and uh, and all um, the students would be uh, present or um, punished badly. Yeah, have you been talking to your family in the last couple of days? Simon? I did indeed. Yes, yeah. they must be very fearful, aren't they? Uh, they are sad and they are upset and they uh, <laughs> did them. It, it is. It is really, to be honest, it is speechless to 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 explain the situation. Uh, uh, they they are full of fear and they they don't go out. Um, they they bought a lot of uh, foods. Uh, they stayed at home and they they don't go out for now. Yes. Yeah. Are you frightened for them yourself? Uh, sorry. Are you frightened for them? I I do indeed. They have very young children. My my nephew niece. And um, especially the girls, uh, they were um, uh, they were in in, in school and in uh, universities, and now they are at home, and uh, they, 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 there is no any hope, and there is no any um, anything that uh, they don't know anything about tomorrow or about next week or about the f- their future. Yeah, the president uh, left the country. What did you think about that? Oh, um, this is, I think, uh, um, in, in a poor country, when, when you bring a person uh, from somewhere else, he was out of Afghanistan for 40, 45 years. So uh, the American, they put him on power by force. So even 2% or 5% of people didn't vote for him. Mm-hmm. But this is the, uh, the, this is the result. And then he left. Uh, with, uh, with a lot of money. So the money that uh, people and Western countries help for poor, poor people, he keep them and he, he, he escaped with a, with a lot of money. Yes. Can I ask you lastly, Samim, yes. what can we do for you? You, lo- you now live here. This, this is your adopted country. What can we do, Samim, for your people? Can we help in any way? Uh, I, I, to be honest, I don't uh, know. Uh, I, I, um, I, um, what you can do. I, I want Irish people to don't look like uh, what what they, what they see on the, on, on the news. We are not them. We are not Talib. We are not terrorists. We are not. Uh... <laughs> it is sad. I know. I know. I know. And there's only a very small number of them and there's an awful lot of good, yes, yes. honest, decent people like yourself. Uh, yeah, I, I, I've been living in Cork for the last 13, 14 years and this is uh, this is what I feel if I go somewhere else, I miss Cork. Yeah. 
do you do you fear that you will be that you will be judged now do you feel that people will look at you and and judge you yes yes uh, so people for for past many years i i come across different uh, uh, questions and people ask me uh, are you from afghanistan yes and oh taliban they are from afghanistan as well and uh, why they don't let women to go to school why this why they are religious why why you are not religious there's there's, there's so many questions it is very hard to answer all those questions it is very hard you have to be very tough to um uh, <clears throat> to tolerate those questions and uh, good questions but i i appreciate irish people they are, they, they are very un- understandable, um, yeah. and uh, and many of people they say, oh, we passed those days in our history as well. So and we we saw the power of religion and religious people, and we saw the civil war, and we we saw um, you know, we were witness that we were refugee to different countries. So this is um, this is a kind of the same. Um, situation, but we are obviously hundred hundred years back, uh, uh, back from from Irish people. Okay, Sammy, my hope that your friends and your family, and particularly your sisters and their children, I hope that they will all be well and all be safe. And, yes, and, and yeah, well, we we all hope, hopefully, and um, uh, this is this is the situation. What we can do uh, if America and Western countries couldn't change, I can't change anything. Only I suffer, and women suffer, and children suffer. That's all. Okay. Okay, Samim, thank you very much. That's Samim Shadiwal, living here in Cork for the last 13, 14 years. He has sisters and nieces and nephews back in in Afghanistan. You, you can only, you can only, and you hear them there, close to tears, uh, talking about it. We have more to come next. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie Thanks for all your nominations and votes in the Cork's 96FM Best of Cork Awards. Now it's time to reveal your favourites. Stay listening all day Friday. As we reveal this year's winners. Best of Cork Awards with localheroes.ie. Find trusted local plumbers, electricians, locksmiths, and more with a 12 month guarantee backed by Board Gosh Energy. Only on Cork's 96 FM. Billy Bilal, good morning to you. Uh, good morning, sir, to you also. Um, good to speak with you on the programme. Again, the same question as I asked you, uh, I asked Sammy to start. Um, when, when is the last time that you were at home, Billy? Uh, 2016. Okay. And tell me about your home. Do you live in a village or do you live in a city or where do you live? Yeah, yeah I'm living in a city in uh, back home and uh, it's close to capital, like 20 kilometres far away from capital. Okay. And do you have family and friends back there now? Yes, yes. All my family, my friends and uh, school friends, everyone there. Mm, have you been in touch with them in the last couple of days? Yes, yes. Uh, this morning uh, at uh, 7 o'clock of uh, Ireland, or there's a back home, the time is different. I spoke this morning already again. Mm. What have they been telling you? Uh, there was the same situation. Uh, there was a few uh, uh, plane or few uh, was in airport and they pick up some passenger and there was a was lot of struggling. There was no security access and Taliban tried to 
scary everyone at home. They everyone like silent. They can't say nothing. Yeah. Can you remember what it was like to to live under the Taliban? Taliban, Billy. Sorry. Can you remember what life was like under the Taliban before? Uh, no, I was too young that time when it was uh, America came to Afghanistan, and I right now when I remember on the news and uh, some stories from my friends, uh, they they take different ways. They the rule is different, the policy is different. Whatever the order, you have to follow the rule. You can't miss around. If you do it, then you finish. You're gone. Yeah. What do you think that Ireland and the Irish government? should be doing right now for your people? Or is there anything we can do as individuals? Uh, thanks for the... I see last night the news also, the Minister of the Foreign... Uh, I think is very, very... We will appreciate if they give a chance to come to Ireland uh, as a refugee. And uh, financially, they are okay. Only security was they had a problem. Like my own family right now is struggling. And like I supporting financially, my dad had her own business uh, we don't have uh, no problem only security was we have a problem i would like to request to justice of or minister if they give a chance to come to ireland not just my own family so many families they suffer and uh, everyone is struggling right now yeah how has your own family been affected billy uh, they're okay i lost my 18 my family members my uncle my cousin my neighbors uh, and there's more than 50 injured right now. In so so is it, what, 18, 18 people that you know? Yeah, that, yeah, my wow. own family, yeah, my own member family on, like, uh, Saturday night, Sunday morning, they passed away. And my own brother is still in hospital. Uh, he's injured. He can't talk. He's, like, uh, uh, in shock, basically. He's injured my mom also. There's so many. There's no one, two, three. It's more than 50. They're still in hospital. There's no doctor right now. They suffered lots, like... What happened to them? Was it bombs? Yes, yes, there was a three bombs they dropped on our city. And oh. there was a fighting face-to-face as well, also. Right. And the, the women in your in your family, your mom, have you got sisters? Yes, yes, I have two younger sisters as well. And, and how do they feel about what's happening now? Uh, they, when I'm calling, they're crying. Uh, they're at home. They can't go out right now. There's a... Uh, uh, no access, no car, nothing, and uh, no buses. Uh, they're just waiting for some hope. And I just, like, try to give him more promotion. I say, oh, it will be, everything will be okay. I will try my best. Yes. And, uh, yes. Is it true, like, your sisters, they're they're not allowed out? Well, are they, are, do, do, would they work? Are, were they working? No, no, they're younger. They're in school. They're okay, like, okay, yeah, okay. So they wouldn't be allowed out now, or then allowed out? Is that right? I think so, because they're since uh, that day happened. They're at home. They didn't went to school. The school door is closed. They made the notice like no one allowed to come to the school. Yes, yes. And I think I heard a report this morning that everything is closed. All businesses. Yeah, everything, everything in every city, in every village, in every capital is closed. Basically, everything. Yeah. Yeah. And will your family be okay for things like food and that? Uh, food is okay, yeah. There's no uh, problem about the food, only the security-wise, you know? Because still, right now, it was this morning, I spoke to them and there was a fighting in this morning, like uh, 7 o'clock off Ireland and it's around 11 o'clock in back home. Yeah, and there was fighting going on this morning? Yeah, yeah, this 
morning, and I spoke this morning, seven o'clock by island time. Yeah, and and what what were they seeing? Were they what they were watching? Was it near the house or near their homes? Yeah, yeah, there's like uh, like two kilometers far away from our house. Uh, everyone at home, like there, some uh, security room or some uh, basement, like underground there or underground, like to be safe at least. Yeah. Now, once the Taliban and they have more or less have control at this stage. What will they do then? Do you, do you fear what they will do then? Yeah, of course. They will uh, make own rule and whatever they want, they will do it. Uh, like for myself, I can't go anymore. I had uh, some future for, uh, hope for future, then my hope is gone. Like, Well, uh, you, you can't go back, no? No, no, never. Like uh, Everyone cannot because uh, uh, the rule is different there now. Well, I, myself, I will know much with them, like, you know? Right. So, would you? Would they not allow you back? Yes, yes. If they know me, I will be more in dangerous situation because uh, if I go from here or, or any person from Europe or England, if they go to back home, they will be uh, 100% in, in danger. What would happen to them, Billy? Uh, they will ask him, like, why are you living there and... They will ask so many questions, and if you give them a right answer, still they will be forced you to uh, to kill you, to to put you in the prison, or whatever. Right, right. Now, I was talking before you to to Samim, and he was saying that the when the pre- the president left, um, you think the president was right to leave, were you? Yes, yes, he hundred percent he was right. The reason he left because. Uh, the fight was more people were dying more and uh, uh, all the b- the building or the houses everything the businesses will destroy like the reason he left to become a try to be peace but taliban they had a different mind they had a different mentality they yeah. don't want to listen to anyone right like would he not have done, done better and uh, forgive me, I don't understand the politics, but w- would he not have been better to stay and, and defend his people? Uh, he tried, he tried a lot, lot. He tried to go ahead piecewise by uh, paper, by education, yeah. no by force. Peace always coming by uh, education. Yeah. Yeah, and of course he wasn't really elected anyway. He He was kind of being supported by America, and when America left, his supports are gone, isn't that right? Yeah. Definitely, America gone without notice. They gone like uh, morning at three o'clock. Uh, government doesn't know nothing. They gone. They've left everyone on the ground, basically. Yeah, they've. You you feel they've abandoned your your people. Yes, yes, lots. Yeah. Yeah, because as I said, talking to Sammy before, he said a lot, the country really was being run by America but but the president was in place and the government but it was really being run by America now he was elected and people would ask questions about the election but look he was elected but 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 effectively what you're saying to me I think and what Sammy was saying America was running the country America was supporting the country and now they've just left and allowed the Taliban to just march in and take over Yes, yeah, de- yeah, definitely. Uh, America was uh, supporting Afghan government, uh, and on the side, they also was uh, talking to the Taliban, and they were supporting Taliban also. America, they are, like try to play a game. Yeah, and uh, they are like two side games. 
they, the Taliban basically, when they gone, when they destroyed and uh, America came to Afghanistan, and after 20 years, the Taliban came back. Uh, the America activity, or the America spent million, million dollars, and end of the day is nothing. People of uh, Europe, NATO, America, they lost their life, they lost their legs, hands, bodies, and end of the day was no result. Yeah. Do you think it is ever possible to sit down and talk peace with the Taliban? Is that it's ever... Very, it's very hard, uh, honestly. It's very hard because uh, they want something uh, public of Afghanistan. They know I agree with them. Uh, now in 2001, uh, 2001 or 2000, sorry, to, um, 21 or 22, the century, uh, everything is modern. And they don't want to be modern. They want to be back this, you know? Yes. That's yeah. why the public, they don't agree. Uh, like majority, majority, I know I call in every single city. I know so many friends and families. None of them happy. I never see any Afghan or any uh, local person. They want to be welcome to Taliban. They, yeah. they hate Every each person, like, they hate them. Like, what is not allowed, Billy? I, I hear that, like, music isn't allowed. Nothing is allowed. Uh, mostly think, uh, like, they... Uh, and you, like, ladies to schools, uh, ladies to job, and uh, uh, music, or... Is there so many things, like, uh, is there no nightclubs, or whatever? Everything is not allowed. Yes, and they, they run everything. Yes, yes, yeah. whatever they think, they have to follow the rule. Do you fear that, when now that they have, do you fear that they will be violent towards the people? Uh, maybe. Yeah. yeah. We'll see, uh, day by day, it will be different story, day by day, will be different rule, and uh, like yesterday was one thing, today is different thing. I just see the airport this morning is uh, so many people outside, uh, there are no visa, no passport, and there's America... A uh, plane came to take so many people, and I see the news of Ireland. They tried to give a visa for refugee, and thanks to that, and um, hope they go through as soon as possible. Not just my family; everyone is like in suffering that situation. Would your family, Billy? Would your family leave now if they could? Yeah, I. Uh I spoke this, uh, I sent an email uh, to Dora Slimrick. Uh, there's a society who helping refugee. I said, please, if there's any chance uh, in this uh, 150 people, I can send my family passport pictures and things if they give permission. And they're like ready to leave. This like life is danger. Yes, yes. So you're thankful that the government is doing what it's doing already and, and what else could we do is there anything anything that us we as ordinary people not the, not the government what can we do Billy can we help in any way uh, thank you so much for uh, request and um, uh, we'll see the government decision and the public also they're supporting Afghan and we are happy and myself I live in since a couple of years I'm very happy thankful for uh, Irish people and uh, I'm very happy Okay. And you're obviously speaking to me this morning at a time when you're desperately worried about your family and friends and, and we're we're recognize that and, and thank you for being with me on the programme, Billy. You're welcome. Thank you very much uh, and uh, have a nice And, and please convey please send uh, our very best wishes to your family and friends and, and that we hope that they stay safe. Thank you very much. That's that's Billy. Can we just talk? 
The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. As we build up to the All-Ireland Final next Sunday, we're asking you to show your support for the Rebels. Decorate your home. I decorate your business in red and white. Show us your best. Turn out your colours for us and then send us a photograph. The best home and the best business will get 500 euros from us. Uh, Michael Guiney's have a fabulous display. They sent in photographs of it. And we're anxious to see your photos. Let us turn out the red and white because over the years we were criticised a bit uh, by other you know, Cork people going through other counties at All-Ireland time might say sometimes, well, such and such a place kind of put us to shame a small bit. So let us show what we're like. We're always saying when Cork come out for its own, there's no place like us. Let's get the red and white out. Get the bunting out. Get the flags out. Wear your T-shirts. Dye your hair. Whatever you want to do. (laughs) Show your support for the Rebels on Sunday in the All-Ireland final and send us in your pictures and the best pictures we'll get cash money 1850 speaking of uh, the All-Ireland final I'll be reading out that letter that the Lord Mayor wrote in a wee while it's gas it really is gas he wrote it to his opposite number in Limerick but for now you have heard in the news that a legal firm a firm called P.A. Duffy are now representing 30 cases against HSE arising from the COVID pandemic. Just thought it might be an interesting time to ask, like, what do you need to take a case against uh, HSE? I'm joined now by Enda McGarrity, who's one of the solicitors at PA Duffy. Enda, good morning to you. Morning, PJ. And we see 30 cases been taken by the company so far, and people may be thinking about how you would go about it. How would you go about it? Yeah, so essentially these are, are called wrongful death cases. They're um, essentially we're alleging that um, HSE or the uh, private care homes or public care homes have caused or con- contributed to a death uh, by way of their negligence. Uh, now, the components uh, of such a claim uh, would include that proven that the care provided was substandard, uh, that the substandard care contributed to the transmission of COVID-19 and that the transmission of COVID-19 caused or contributed to those deaths of of residents. Yeah. And people have been coming forward with with various cases. Um, What, how long would it take, for example, to take a case? Well, the timeline really depends on the approach that the defendants would take, uh, which remains to be seen, really. Um, you know, if liability is admitted, uh, then negotiations can be entered into at a fairly early stage. Uh, in those circumstances, cases could be settled within uh, a year, for example. Um, if liability is disputed and the cases are defended, then, then they'll go on uh, a little bit longer than that. Now, do you need to gather evidence f- 
for yourself? I mean, presumably there are things like subpoenas and things, but, but what is the process for gathering evidence? Yeah, so cases of this nature will uh, will be decided on on the evidence. Um, you know, there, there's various um, items of evidence that will be used in the cases. Uh, the, the main one would be medical, independent medical evidence. Uh, and what would happen in that instance is the medical experts would review all the available, uh, you know, care records, uh, statements, and they'd provide a report um, on whether the care was substandard and whether that care caused or contributed to deaths. Mm. And who would go about obtaining, say, medical notes? Like, would that be yourselves on behalf of your client or would your client have to do it for themselves? Um, well, generally, we, we have done it on behalf of our clients. Um, some clients have, have come to us with medical records. Uh, many clients have been unable to get uh, medical records um, from from care homes Um and that, that's obviously an issue in itself. And is that where you step in then and you take some legal road to get the records? Is that what you do? Yes, well, particularly in relation to private homes, they're not, uh, they don't have to provide records under the usual GDPR uh, regulations uh, that a public uh, hospital would, for example. Um, you know, we say that's incorrect, uh, but in any event, we can um, obtain the records through the, the normal court uh, process. Uh, but it's just it, it, it's unfortunate that um, you know families have been pushed to this in order to to simply get uh, medical and care records. Yeah, you said that if there's a, or if I picked you up correctly, I think what you said was if there's any kind of admission of liability, that things can be settled and dealt with relatively quickly, a year or maybe slightly longer. But what if there's not? This could be something you could be quite some time pursuing, couldn't it? Yes, well, in relation to the, the individual wrongful death cases, um, you know, a, a broad estimate would be two years uh, if the case was to be initiated from the, the date it begun uh, until the date of a court hearing. Um, we're also seeking a, a public inquiry into wider issues, which we say should happen uh, immediately. Um, and that that would uh, you know that would address um, the wider systemic failures that we're alleging uh, in in relation to care homes. Mm. Now you, you said that there were, or we hear that there are thirty cases taken at the moment. Is part of the process end uh, that someone comes to you and says, "Well, I think that there's a case here." Is the first part of the process you and your colleagues assessing what's put in front of you? And telling the client, well, yeah, there is a case here. Let's go for it. Yeah, of course. Um, you, you know, we, we meet we meet the clients. Uh, we listen to their story. Um, if there's merit in their case, we, we'll advise them off that. We'll advise them of the uh, the procedure for for bringing such a case and what other legal remedies may also be available to them. Is it a costly process? Um, well, uh, our firm are, are are currently doing these cases on a pro bono basis. Um, because of the nature of the cases, um, you know, we feel it's, it's the right thing to do. Yeah. A lot of people would feel intimidated by the system, by taking on, you know, by taking on the system, taking on the establishment. It's a big opponent to be taking on as, as an individual. It is. Uh, and from what we have uh, gathered to date, uh, people, people are really fed up with the system uh, and, and really want to, to challenge it. Uh, and that's not just in respect of the, the homes where their loved ones uh, 
had resided or do reside, um, you know, it's in relation to the wider uh, systemic problems that, that, that um, families face yeah. in respect of care homes. Do you expect more cases to come to, to light? Well, y- yes, you know, this is a, a small uh, microcosm of, of what is really an unprecedented level of deaths um, in the past 18 months. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so, so, yes, I do expect more people to come forward. Mm. Okay. And lastly and briefly, uh, and if someone wants to take a case, uh, if they're upset with or unhappy with how something was handled, what's the first step? Pick up the phone or send you an email? Yeah, uh, yeah. Pick up the phone or send an email. Um, you know, uh, our, our firm are are, are really um, taking it on a case by case basis. Uh, each case is, is different, so you know it's important to, to hear uh, the, the clients out and to see what their individual problems are. Okay. All right, Enda. Thank you very much for taking our call. That's Enda McGarrity. He's a solicitor with P.A. Duffy. Just wanted to catch up with that. There are quite a number of cases pending, quite a number of cases being thought about and considered, and 30 are already in the process. Um, Whether they'll go anywhere, only time will tell. Uh, 1850-715-996. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Cork's 96FM's Be Kind to Your Mind. With GP, author and wellness expert, Dr. Mark Rowe. People have been locked away. There is that sense of existential threat. It means you're pumping out far more stress hormones like adrenaline and cortisol. And you end up marinating in this cortisol. It depletes your willpower muscle. It makes you feel more anxious, more stressed. It can affect your sleep, your mood, put you on a downward spiral, even into feelings of depression. It can cause you to feel hungrier, crave more carbs, and be more inclined to put on weight. And that's why many people have spoken about the COVID stone, because we all crave comfort when we're stressed and fearful and that comfort has often come in the form of trips to the fridge or cupboard late at night Helping you through COVID Helping you through COVID Cork's 96FM Can we just talk The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan Text or WhatsApp now 083 396 On Cork's 96FM Okay, so the letter is addressed to Councillor Daniel Butler Mayor of Limerick, Mayor's Office, Merchants Key, Limerick. And it reads as follows. Dear Mayor Butler, I write to you this afternoon after receiving very hopeful information. I believe you have something that belongs to us. He's about 16 inches high, silver, and goes by the name of Liam. Sadly, Liam was lost to us back in 2006. And after many years of searching, we almost found him again in 2013. Down the years since 2006, there have been sightings of him in Kilkenny, Galway, Tipperary and Clare for some reason. And now I believe he's in Limerick. Liam is a native of Cork whose family hailed from Ballygarvan. One can only imagine he's found it quite distressing not being back on Lee's side in over 16 years. As I'm sure you're aware and understand, there is no place like home and there's certainly no place like Cork. As Mayor of Limerick, can I ask you to arrange to bring Liam to Croke Park on Sunday for collection? I will arrange for him to be collected and picked up around 5.30 and rightfully returned to Leaside. 
Many thanks for looking after him. It won't be forgotten. Most appreciated, <laughs> Councillor Colin Kelleher, Lord Mayor of Cork. Colin, you divil you. Good morning. Good morning. Any, any chance to stand, PJ? No? <laughs> what demented state of mind were you in when you wrote that? It's priceless. Ah, so I look a bit of banter um, between the Treaty County and the Rebel County, and uh, I'm uh, informed that uh, Mayor Butler has received the letter, and um, they're panicking above in County Hall in Limerick, I believe, to try to uh, scramble a reply. <laughs> It'll be interesting to see how they will reply to that. I can only imagine. <laughs> we, 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 look, I assume that you'll at least get a phone call to say, are you mad? <laughs> uh, look, it's just an idea I had. Um, I thought, you know, a bit of banter between the two officers. Absolutely. Uh, a long way. I know the Chamber put out a call, both uh, Limerick Chamber and Cork Chamber put out a call for uh, a flag off. Um, and in fairness, you know, businesses, homes around the county have really come out in force. Um, I mean, really come out in force. I'm a bit, I suppose, I'm still quietly confident the city can uh, pull it out of the hat because I'm hearing this morning that the county is outdoing us in relation to having flags and banter and, bun- and bunting out. But um, no, even in Ballancolly yesterday, now I saw a few businesses and they were getting them out. So I would implore everyone, everyone, to get the flags, the banners, the hat scarves, everything, anything you have. Get it out and let's support the lads and bring Liam home. And as I said, he must be he must be very distressed. Like, you know, it's an awful long time to be away from home. It's an awful time. It is a terrible time. And to be only such a short distance down the road and not be able to come home is even worse, you know? Exactly, you know, and uh, and I know, and I know. Look in my in my letter, I alluded to that you know, we almost found him again in 2013, but for some strange reason, it's been to me. I don't know why he never came on that year, you know. Um, I mean, we were all talking about how terrible it was to be stuck in our own place or stuck where you were for COVID for months on end. This poor devil has been stuck out of his home county for years now. I'm sure he's been in a, a, a you know a, an inflicted quarantine for 16 years. Yeah, you know, it's about time he came on. Place, I mean, look, there's nothing wrong with tip. Kilkenny or Tipperary or and so agonisingly close to being in Tipperary and Clare and now Limerick, do you know? Of course, of course. Now look, um, I was at the semi-final and I watched the lads play. They played their socks off, um, like the, the work rate both on and off the ball. Um, I'm quietly confident for Sunday. I also watched the semi-final between Limerick and Waterford. I think Waterford didn't turn up in the day personally. Mm. Uh, I think they're a far better team than the, the way they played. They are. Limerick. Yeah. You know, um, and I've no doubt they'll be back. But the, the margin that Limerick beat Waterford by, and Waterford not turning up, and if we play the same way we played against Kilkenny, I think Limerick will be fearful of us. Yeah, they are good though. We can't. We have to hand it to Limerick, Colin. They are good and damn good, and have been over the last couple of years. But like you say, watching watching the semi final against the old enemy. Well, completely, you know, and I suppose it was kids' rivalry for years upon years was Kilkenny and Cork. Um, Kilkenny are, you know, from their perspective, sadly, in a decline. Uh, someone said to me during the week that Limerick are the new Kilkenny. Um, but I've also spoken to a few, a few, I suppose, sporting anoraks, and they say, like, if we win on Sunday, this could be the start of something special with a young team. You know, we could go out and win three or four after us. But we have to, bring, we have to win the first one first, yeah. anyway. Well, if you look at how good we're doing at all divisions... In all codes at the moment. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. You know, like we with a clean sweep in Munster. Um, you know, um and we 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 filed contested all different grades uh, going forward. Um and I know the 
the ladies, you know, went agonising close oh, to yeah. on Sunday, and it's, you know, um, they, they, they have nothing to be ashamed of. You know, they had a great performance, and the best, you know, the, the blessings they got to meet, um, and, and the best of luck to them, you know. Um, but uh, the ladies, they, they did uh, the Rebel County Pro on Sunday. Um, it was just unfortunate that the result didn't go their way in the end. Yeah. Will you be going up, Colm? I mean, restrictions are, are, are lifting. There'll be, what, 40,000 at the match. Will you, will you be going up? I'm hoping to go up. Um, I've yes, I'm like every other punter in the city and county this morning. I've still yet to get confirmation for my tickets. Go on out of that now. I, I know they're like gold, PJ. Like uh, go on out of that now. The county board always has a pair of tickets for the Lord Mayor. Go on out of that. I haven't, I haven't received confirmation yet. And Nicola, <laughs> Nicola decided to take a week's holiday this week, so I'm half lost inside that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and listen, if Nicola can, Mr. Archer, we'll get them for you. Oh, you can be sure. No better vocal. <laughs> listen, call them. Uh, it's it's great, great to give us a laugh, and and we look, we all look forward to it. We'll be glued. To the, I've, I've told them on at home on Sunday that the door will be closed and stay out of the front room, and never mind the roaring, because I will be roaring. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, we'll all be roaring. And no doubt, I know, no doubt, I'm quietly confident we will be bringing Liam home on Sunday. And, and on, in all seriousness, what is the plan for Monday, win or lose? Like, someone's saying yesterday, we have to do something. Would it not be a thing, and this is just an idea, Lord Mayor, we have one of the most modern stadiums now in all of Europe. We have a huge media matrix, media infrastructure within uh Parky Cueve. Could we put something on there that Look, people I, could watch on the telly? Ideally, you know, there will be some sort of form of, I suppose, marking the occasion, win, lose or draw. Um, but that being said, I know it was, you know, suggested that, you know, uh, there would be large screens put up down the park and stuff like that. But unfortunately, the public health guidelines we find ourselves in at the present moment in time limits that to 200 people outside. And how how do you select those two hundred people? You know, how do you how do you put a fair, I suppose, crux on that? It's very, very difficult. It's very unfortunate that mm. we can't, you know, welcome our heroes back in the traditional manner that we would be accustomed to here in Cork, you know, them Parky is of a sufficient size, Lord Mayor, that the two hundred doesn't apply. You could have maybe a thousand there, and then show it on television. I agree, no, but the public health guidelines stipulate at the moment that outdoor gatherings, even in an arena setting, were limited to 200. Now, I know you'd say there's 40,000 at the final. The two semi-finals and the final are pilots to see, are uh-huh. pilot events to see how, you know, the reaction to COVID is. Now, thankfully, I was at the semi-final uh, to almost, you know, last Sunday week, and um, 25,000 people there, they were all adhering to social distancing, they were all wearing their masks, and thankfully there hasn't been a spike, and I would imagine hopefully it'll be the same on, on Sunday. It's unfortunate um, that we can't uh, have something in the traditional manner, but I've no doubt that, you know, and in fairness, I've been speaking to corporate affairs, and uh, they've been liaising with the county board, there will be something done, as what it is as of yet, they're unsure. Okay. But when we look back in 50 and 60 years' time and they say, well, you know, if we win, and I'm confident we will win, but when we win, uh, that, you know, this is how Cork marked a homecoming of an All-Ireland during a pandemic. Mm-hmm. So it's something very historic that we're, we're living through. Um, we all want to see the tail end of this thing. It's, it's, everyone's, you know, sick to death of it. But, you know, with the, with the guidelines that are in place, I don't think a, a traditional homecoming in the traditional manner... 
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It'll be possible, unfortunately. Mm, people asking here, Lord Mayor, what's your own club allegiance? Right. I would have thought so. I would have thought so. Listen, thanks for giving a bit of a laugh in, in the middle of this, and, and we'll all be glued to the telly on Sunday. Are those lucky of us lucky enough to have a ticket? Now, he'll get his ticket. The Lord Mayor always gets a ticket. Would you refuse the Lord Mayor to cork a ticket to the All Ireland? And if you did, would you refuse Finbar Archer a ticket for the Lord Mayor to the All Ireland final? Yeah, right. Um, Jude says I hope he doesn't jinx us it's a bit of banter I suppose and good to have a positive laugh after all the Covid coverage we need a break from listening to it well breaking news Jude we haven't talked about Covid this morning you're the first person to mention Covid this morning Jude well other than the law firm that was on before you but that's you know Cordelia hi PJ and crew many of us in Cork would love to join supporting all the teams but did you know that rental contracts often contain this clause that you can't hang any flag or banner outside the premises or inside or outside the doors and windows? Cordelia, I've heard that before. I think I heard this the last time Cork were in an All-Ireland final, that some people who might want to display a flag on the window of their apartment or something like that wouldn't be allowed. I know that's, that's actually true. It's unfortunate. But it's true. You have to wonder what would happen if he just dreamt an out on the Saturday for the 20... Hardly going to get evicted over it. But I know what you mean. I know what you mean. And again, a mention for Michael Gynes. And again, a mention for our little contest here on 96FM for the week. Uh, get your colours out and show us your colours over the next week or so. And then take pictures and WhatsApp to them. WhatsApp them to us on uh, 083... 396 96 96. Lastly, before I go to a break, the Baldy Barber would like to congratulate his work colleague, Donacha O'Connell, for completing the 100 mile ultra marathon in Connemara. He did it in aid of the Rainbow Club and the Pishig Camogie Club. Well done to Donacha. 
It's a best-dressed house and business competition. We're getting behind our All-Ireland Hurling finalists and we do want your help. You need to show your support by decorating your house or business. And (laughs) on top of that, we also have a pair of tickets to the All-Ireland final. Thanks to Borgosh Energy, proud sponsor of the GA Hurling All-Ireland Senior Championships and the Legend Tour Series of Croke Park. So not only is there Dosh in this, there's a pair of tickets. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on Leaside. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. Frontman with Walking on Cars, Pashi, he has just released his second solo single, Roisin, alongside announcing the release of his debut EP, The Art of Disappearing. He's back in Cork this September with a Dayton store at Cypress Avenue on Tuesday, September 28th. Access all areas. It Takes a Village has announced that it'll return to Trabalgan Holiday Village on Friday the 18th to Sunday the 20th of September. The lineup includes the Blind Boy podcast, Fish Go Deep and John Francis Flynn with tickets available from the website ittakesavillage.fm. Access all areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a show, play or exhibition coming up or any live streaming events by emailing us here at aaa at 96fm.ie. Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. On Cork's 96FM. We have proudly and and consistently supported on this programme. And I personally, in my work and any opportunity I had over the last 10 years at least, supported the work of the Cork Life Centre. And we've been back and forth with them as well over the last couple of months. Um, as they have this funding crisis and this crazy situation between themselves now and the Department of Education, um, which even though the Life Centre insist, Don and Rachel and the team insist that they will keep going, the situation with the Department of Education now is is difficult and challenging for them. More on that in a minute. But of late, the, the people coming out in support of the Life Centre are the very people that it has helped and the very people that have been through in and out those magic red doors. Read a great piece and a man who's been doing wonderful work uh, in the newspaper, in the uh, Examiner over the last few weeks and months indeed uh, is Donald O'Keefe from the Examiner and the Echo has been writing some super articles about the Life Centre. He visited there recently and he spoke to a couple of people including them Amber uh, who joins me now on the phone. Amber good morning to you. Hi, PJ. How are you? Good, and very good to speak with you, and, and thanks for being with us. Um, when you were 16, your mom asked you to give the Life Centre a go. How was life for you then? Yeah, so when I was 16, I was going through a lot. Um, I didn't really want to be in education or anything like that. Um, I didn't like English. I didn't like anything. Um and then I came in, I met with Don and Rachel, and they said, oh, give this place a chance. So I did, um, mm. and they've changed my life dramatically. You, you were very unhappy at the time, Amber. Yeah, yeah, so I wasn't really happy with life. I didn't really, honestly, I didn't really even want to live, to be honest. Um, I just thought when I grew up, if I was dead, I'd be lucky, you know. Um, but then when I came here, everything just changed. That must be a terrible so way to feel at 16. 
It was, it was, but they gave me so much opportunities um, and they found all my passions. Mm-hmm. Like when I was in secondary school, I hated English and um, I wouldn't even go to English class because of the teachers. Um, but then when I came here, I started writing poetry um, and John actually got um, a book published of all my poetry in it. And I'm still writing poetry to this day. What was the spark, though? You you, you hate well, you hated secondary school anyway. And, yeah. And, and then you hated English in particular. So your mom says to you, "Look, give this place a go." And and, and did you did you think at first, "Ah, oh, Jesus, look another school." Yeah, yeah. I wasn't really keen on coming here, but then when I did come here for my interview, um, and I've seen all the other students in here, and they all look so happy. Mm-hmm. But I still wasn't really interested in it, but I came here anyway. And How quickly did you realise, Amber, that it was different? Very quickly. My first time here, my first day ever here, um, my sister was volunteering here at the time, and I was out the front talking to the teachers, and they were all saying to me, oh yeah, call me by, your first, by my first name and all that, and... It was just so different, you know, the vibes you were getting and the teachers are like your friends here. You know, mm-hmm. you can talk to them and they teach you in a way where you actually want to learn. Yeah. Um, like for biology, I didn't like biology, but then the teacher, I really liked owls and animals and all that. So he mixed that in with the class so I'd actually learn and actually have an interest in it. Right, right. Now something else they did for you, um, because you'd had a really tough time in your teens and a really horrible experience, they persuaded you to talk to a counsellor. And you, yeah, yeah. So at the start, I didn't want to, you know, talk to a counsellor at all. Um, in fact, the first few sessions, I actually stormed out of there a few times. Um, but then it proved to be extremely beneficial once I actually got to know the counsellor and started talking to her. Um, it got easier and easier. Yeah. Um, but I wouldn't be where I am today without the Life Centre. They have literally given me everything. And everything that I've been through, they always they were always by my side. And if whatever I wanted to do in my life, they were there. No matter what decisions I made, they were there supporting me. Yeah. They're more like a family than a school. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I'm still in contact with them. I'm actually here now. And taking this call here with them. Yeah, yeah. Now, you went in there when you were 16. What are you doing now? You're 22 now. What are you doing now? Um, I'm just going to my final year of psychology, um, which I never thought I would do. Um, And before here, I did a PLC in animal care um, in Mallow because all I wanted to do was get out of the city, get out of Cork. So I did that... um, and then that brought me to do psychology. Right. And you've you further plans, I think. Yeah, so once I finish here, I will do my master's in criminology or neuroscience. Right. right. Yeah, which things I never thought I would ever do. Yeah, and you're still writing poetry? Yeah, yeah, I actually have a poetry page called Sheridan's Word. Nice. Uh, for anyone interested in it. Right. It's incredible the the, the change uh, in your in your fortunes from that walk in that red door. Stay there, Amber, uh, and let's bring in uh, the man himself, Don O'Leary. Don, and you know, in my involvement 
what little of it there has been whenever I could do something for the Life Centre over the years. Amber is one of many. Yeah, and I, look, I suppose every, you know, we're usually privileged in the centre here, you know. Um, we meet magical young people and, and you know, it's it, fair to say that they've been damaged in some way. There's trouble when they come to meet us. And I suppose watch them grow. And, you know, I always say this, you know, nobody can change anybody else. The, 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 the catalyst always within. But, but what we can do is, is journey in person. We can support them. We can talk to them. We can be, uh, they can trust us. You know, Tony Bates, who, who started Jigsaw um, many years ago, he, he used this term a lot. And, and, and he says, a young person deserves one good adult. Yeah. Now, I'd also say every adult deserves one good adult that they can be that good adult for. Yeah. But, but I think that is essential. I think, you know, you stay there. You know, and I'm going to tell you this myself, you know, in, in, in relation to it. I'm tried unsuccessfully for about six months to push us away. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, we, we stayed. Yeah. We stayed through the difficult and the good. Um, and, you know, Amber shared, shared lots of horror trauma with us. Yeah. And being able to support Amber through that, and, and, and such an amazing young person, you know, that, 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 that what, what you know is Amber. Yeah. What you see now is Amber. Yeah. I remember Amber coming in here in the mornings where Amber would have her hood up, uh, her shoulders drooped, and uh, sitting in, in a classroom. Amber was always very early in. Um, totally engaged from anyone giving off the order that she didn't want anybody near them. I'm not about what she used to be doing early in the morning was, uh, was, writing, was, was rewriting calligraphy, uh, poets and poems. Yeah. Um, and the one thing that we said was because there's always something, you know, there's always a passion or something that gets you. And I said, look, why don't you write your um, and, and she did. Uh, and many days, I mean, after a weekend in particular, I, I'd come in and I'd come with folks to read, and there could be 20. Yeah. And in the end, we said we'd, we'd do a poetry book, and, and in fairness, it was your colleague back then, uh, D. Shocks, who, who actually launched that. Yes. And, you know, I, I think, um, come up with young people, you know. Uh, Amber, <laughs> Amber comes, it's, it's here, Amber is, is likely to pair later. To, 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 to do some work. So she's off to summer and Amber's been well, a few days in here helping the staff get ready for next year. And I've always done that. Yeah. Uh, and we'll always make herself available. And, and you know, we, we keep in regular contact. And she's the young person, you know, I mean, you know, we sit and we talk about her ambitions for the future. And we sit and we talk about, you know, uh, how, how, how to do that. Uh, and the other things, and always come in, you know, she's an old person, she's 20 years of age, 23 years of age, um, an adult, I always, um, and, and, and she would know this, as one of my, my, my kids, um, but, but, but an amazing young person, this was always within Amber. Yes. I think the trauma in Amber's life, you know, one, one of them for me is that 
any people in here, we would never force to make any statements about themselves. We wouldn't, wouldn't go near that. You mentioned Donald Keefe at the start, and we've dealt with Donald a number of times over the years where he's come in and he's asked, could he, could he speak to some young people? And and we, we would just put to the young person in the wood. You know, I, I, I sat in Amber where uh, she's made disclosures, and I'm strong enough to feel that at one stage, because there was something going on, that, that she would put her story out there um, and, and, and be available to people if they needed some support. And I think for me, uh, that is amazing. But, but also for me, inside, I, 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 I kind of, is this the right thing to be doing? But, but you, you hear in person, um, and I want to support other young people through this. Because there are lots of young people out there who, who have trauma and, and have no hope. Yeah. And for me, I go back to what I say, you know, we travel past our journey with young people right here. You know, when I look at a young person and a number meeting on a map, I'm putting a whole eye contact with them. Um, for, for, we're so in the list. And we had to find me in twos, Amber, um, about who's, who Amber was. You know, sometimes we look at a child and we put a label on a child, ADHD, behavior, uh, mental health issues. And that's what, when we look at a child thereafter, that's what we see. We do, we do that with others too. But I think what we have to do is to be able to say, yeah, you know, they may not be hugely fond of the behavior, but the behavior is here. The child is over here. I can love the child. I can love that child and I don't have to love the behavior. And it's an important message to send to young people all the time. It's, okay. I'm not usually fond of what you're doing here and your behavior or hoping to deal with the trauma by getting involved in drugs or having an addiction issue. More than love the child. Yeah. I can see the potential within the child and I'm never going to lose that. And I can stand and say, uh, usually positive things about the child. Well, while dealing with the negative stuff, I mean, you know, so yeah. you have to do that. But I think young people, when they get that, and when they get adults that are there, who, who don't look at respect as a woman, they look at it as a two-way street. I mean, we as adults have a great habit of doing to young people saying, you must respect me. When actually... That has to reverse. Yes. It's a Why would I respect you if you don't respect me? Good point. And so it's a, it's a built-up point, and it's a point of being, you know, being there, being flexible, getting your person where they need to be. And for, for us in the license, there's always been... Young people can get through academics, someone. they can get to where they need to be. But, you know, if you have 600 points to leave, and... Your mental health is so bad that you go back into your bedroom and you ain't coming out of there. Yeah. 600 pints of work, nothing. Okay. However... On the phone, the quality on the, phone, the quality on the phone, unfortunately, has deteriorated over the last couple right. of minutes. Just, just briefly before I let you go, Don, um, the, the situation between yourselves and the Department of Education. We spoke last in June. Has, has that advanced anywhere? It hasn't, you know. Um, and it's really because it hasn't, uh, and I mean. You know, in good faith, and we say this, don't we, Jay? In good faith, you know, the politicians are 
I mean, I've been, I've been blown away actually. From your home now, the 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 solidarity within within the, the politicians to to try and get something for the life centre. They they they'd be there they'd be there for us to see. Um, and and I'm you know, I couldn't have asked for any more from them. You know, yeah, I could ask that we get money. Um, and they'd be brilliant. However, you know, the Department of Education is a Department of Education. Yes. I, I don't believe it believes in alternative education. I yeah. believe it believes it has the alternatives already in place. Now, so, unfortunately, the, my friend, yeah. the, the line is collapsing by the moment. So I'm going to leave it there. And we will talk again, perhaps, about that on another day on a cleaner line. Um, you'll, you'll appreciate that. Um, but the, the situation is as it is and remains between the Department of Education. But I think what, Brent, what, what um, Don was saying there very clearly is that the solidarity from the local politicians to the Life Centre has been excellent and good of him too. I acknowledge that, but the Department of Education, as you said, is the Department of Education. It's one we're following. Unfortunately, the line deteriorated a bit too much for us to, to stay with it. But to Don and the team at the Life Centre and to Amber, uh, thank you, as always, for being with us. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Yeah, Lisa, Misty the dog all decked out. Finbar was on saying, uh, I have, of the Finbar Archer, the Lord Mayor's driver, after we talked to the Lord Mayor in the last hour, uh, looking ahead to the final, looking forward to the final on Sunday. Finbar says, I have the case ready in the Lord Mayor's car for to bring Sam, or Liam home, rather, Sam. Liam home uh, on Sunday. We hope so, Finbar, we hope so. All no better, no better man to be ready and prepared, and so the tickets will all be sorted. Get your pictures into us on WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. And remember, we've got not just, not just 500 euro for the best home decked out and 500 euro for the big business, but we've also got two tickets for the All Ireland final. More on that throughout the uh, coming days, but get them into us. WhatsApp 083. 396-96-96 with all of your details. We have been warned for quite some time that when COVID is over, and Lord knows we hope that one day it will be soon, that the cancer crisis is the one that will follow. And we know, unfortunately, because of the way we had to react, our health services reacted to COVID in the very early days, there were now 630,000 people on waiting lists to see specialists. Now, possibly not all of them uh, with suspected cancer, but a massive, massive waiting list to see consultants and specialists. And I've talked before about this with Professor Seamus O'Reilly, consultant medical oncologist at Cork University Hospital. And he joins me now again. Professor O'Reilly, good morning to you. Morning. The worry has been, I think, among yourself and your colleagues in, in the oncology sector in particular, just how much hidden cancer is out there that you're not finding and worse still, not finding in time. Yes. So I think that that's going to be the legacy of 
COVID in, in our lives um, that diseases that were normally prioritised in society, COVID was then prioritised. So the outcomes from those other diseases that are non-COVID are, are going to get uh, more challenging. Um, screening programmes have been interrupted. Diagnostics have been interrupted. And, of course, then when we were trying to catch up after the first, and se- first second and third waves of COVID, the cyber attack happened. So it is, it, there were multiple initiatives up and running for that really were uh, uh, getting out of the starting blocks and then had the legs taken from under them uh, by the cyber attack. And the impact of the cyber attack is still with us in terms of our systems not being fully uh, linked up and integrated. Mm-hmm. So that's delaying things. It's, it's made it very challenging for patients uh, in our system uh, because it's, um, it's just one frustration after another. Mm-hmm. And already, I think, uh, you're seeing cases, without obviously identifying anybody, but you're seeing cases coming through that you would very much like to have seen many months ago. Yes. I mean, I think that if you look at the time frame of which people were, may have been booked in for screening, etc., you know, those time frames have been extended out because the services were impacted by COVID. So you, you always have the concern that this, if, if this was found a year earlier, that it would, the outcome would be better. That, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the Deputy, Minister, the Deputy Medical Officer, uh, Ronan Glynn, said that he felt a million people would be on the waiting list by the time the COVID pandemic had resolved. And if you look at vaccinations globally, uh, it will be 2023 before global vaccination for COVID-19 is achieved. So COVID is going to be with us for some time and the disruption from COVID is going to be with us for some time. So that's a, that's a major worry. The hope, obviously, of course, is, and just speaking for ourselves here, the hope is that we'll get to a vaccination point where, where we'll have it under control um, yes. from an Irish point of view. It was kind of a perfect storm, wasn't it, Seamus, in that just as you were starting to get to grips and get back scanning again and get back testing again and get back treating again, that the, the cyber attack hit. It, it really was the perfect storm. Yes. D- describe- and the other aspect to the perfect storm is our staffing levels because we were short 700 consultants in our services before this began. Now, all of that, not all of them are cancer-related, but we, we, we work with other specialists and it's like any system in any, you know, any company or that you're only as good as the people you work with and you rely on others, not just on yourself to provide care. So the, the, our shortage of consultant numbers in Ireland has been a, a major problem. Why, why are we so short? 700 is a colossal number of highly specialised posts to be vacant. Why are we so short of consultants? So I, I think we have a major issue with recruitment and retention in our health services. We, it's not just in among doctors, it's also among nurses. How many, how many foreign nursing graduates are we dependent on to run our services in, in, in our hospitals? And I think that part of it is maybe to look at health, you know, human resources, how, how people work today. People want more. If, if you are an employer and you're struggling to recruit people, the first thing you're going to say is, I need to make it more flexible for them so that they're going to be more attracted to work with me. So the existing structures that are there in terms of contracts, et cetera, are quite restricted and rigid. Uh, the new Staunter Care contract is very rigid. And um, you're not going to attract people in a competitive marketplace with those with that rigidity. I got like, what's wrong with the with the new contract that's on the table? Because to most people, Professor O'Reilly, they see a consultant. It's a very well paid job with yes. good terms and conditions. So, so what I, is wrong I, I with the contract? I would agree. 
Yeah, no, I would agree with you. I, mean, I think we are privileged and um, there's no debate about that. I think the part, of the, so the issues with the new contract are that if you sign the contract, you can be at, you can stay, you can be assigned to one hospital and then you can be relocated to another hospital at the discretion of the Department of Health. Uh, if you have a grievance with your employer, that's your problem. If your employer have a grievance, has a grievance with you, there's a whole process in, in place for him to, for, or for the employer to, to look at that. If you do anything in your job, say, in terms of intellectual property, like um, podcasts, uh, invention, uh, book writing, article writing, that's the property of the, of the Department of, of, Department of Health in the, as the contract is written. Mm. So, it's, so it, that's, it's that structural rigidity that's in the contract right. um, that's, that's an issue. If you, look, if you talk to our doctors in training and ask them what the issues are, money is way down on the list, but money is the headline item for anybody looking at this from outside. And yes. they'll say, you know, these are overprivileged, spoiled uh, would they just not get on with it? We have, we need to get, we have suffering in our communities. We need to get on with it. But what I'm saying is that in the new re, in, in the reality that's there for everybody, what you need is a flexible contract, and that is the way you recruit people more. And I, I think that that applies in all of our disciplines, not just nursing. Right. And, and in the private sector, it's the first thing that they would do. They'd say, well, if you can't work 39 hours a week, can you work 40? In, or, or sorry, or twenty. Yeah. In in England, the Royal College of Surgeons recognised that they're short of doctors and short of people. Their their waiting list will be six million by the time the pandemic is over. Frankly. And um, so what the Royal College of Surgeons in England have done is they said we want a new deal for surgery. So if you're a surgeon and you're qualified and you can work maybe two or three days a week, we'll retire you for that. We don't need you to apply for a job that's five days a week when when you 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 would prefer to do three days a week. They're maximising their human capital, and we're not doing that. Because and I guess a lot of people would have their own private practices and private clinics, uh, or or they, or they may have families to rear, or yes. elderly relatives to look after. Yes, or they may just decide that three days a week is enough, given the intensity and the responsibility yes. of the job. And that's the other aspect. I mean, it has the job is well remunerated. I'm not arguing. I'm not. You know, I'm, I, I, I'm certainly not going to disagree with your comment about that. The, the responsibility with it is, is substantial, but we have a problem uh, at the moment. I, no matter how big the waiting lists are, unless we have staff to look after the people on the waiting list, then that waiting list is going to grow. Right. So we really, we and you're saying that the contract, as it's, the contract, the Slauncher Care contract, as it's presently on the table, is not conducive to, to bringing people in, and, and that's a point worth making. Come back to the perfect story element from this point of view, though, Professor. Like, when the uh, when the, the cyber attack hit, you were yes. just starting to get going again. Now, again, yes. for, the, for the benefit of listeners, you as a, as, as a consultant dealing with, with patients, how did the cyber attack affect your work? Dramatically. Um, so when you come in in the morning, you, you had no access to the results from the patients on the system because the system was shut down completely, including the, their laboratory data, including historical laboratory data. You... If they came to see you in the clinic and they didn't have their medical record number with you, you'd no way of finding their medical record number or, their, or the medications that they were on or the tests that they had been done. You might have a, a paper chart with it, but it might be incomplete because we've become so reliant on the computers. In terms of ordering tests or evaluations, there was a limited capacity because each machine was in isolation rather than, you know, when you 
when you do a scan, you it's about a CT scan is a thousand images. They're uploaded onto a server and uh, and then stored on the cloud. But because that serving link went, there was a limit to the number of scans they could do at any one time because you you jam the hard drive of the of the CT scanner, so capacity dropped dramatically. And then in terms of the laboratory, say if you had a biopsy, if you had breast cancer and you had a biopsy done and went off to the lab, the whole process of analysing that had slowed down completely. And also the issues of getting retrieving older results, which might be relevant to your new biopsy, that was very complicated and had to be done by hand. So they're the kind of things that happened really over a three to four week period. Mm. Um, we and has that been email. resolved now? It has been resolved, yeah. But the systems aren't fully... They're slower than they were because they, they keep, they, they're keeping updating them on the system and manipulating them to clear them of viruses. Um, oh, they're, so they're, they're still working on the systems, yeah? Oh, yes. I mean, they will be for the summer. Our systems are much slower than they were normally. Certainly if the patients come to see me in clinic and I pull up their labs, they're like, what's wrong with this computer? Uh, because it's much slower. Yes. Wow. So... I, I expect that people like yourself, Professor O'Reilly, are, are very concerned for the amount of, say, unfound and undiagnosed cancer that is yes. sadly advancing to a point where you won't be able to do a whole pile about it. Yeah. Well, I, I think that we will lose, the, we've gained year on year improvement in cancer survivor for the last two decades in yeah. Ireland. Cancer care has transformed. This will mean that we go back a bit. We go forward again but we go back again. But what I'd like to say to your listeners is that many people are concerned, particularly with COVID increasing in the community now, that if they've got symptoms that they're kind of afraid to come for medical attention because the hospital, you know, they're afraid of getting COVID or they're, they're just afraid. A lot of us, you know, when things go wrong, we're hoping that it'll just, if we, if we do nothing, it might get better, but, but doing nothing doesn't work. So I would encourage them to talk to their GP, come to their clinic visits. You know, the systems are structured. Everybody's vaccinated. We're wearing masks the social distancing, the infrastructure of our hospitals has changed. 18 months ago, these are, the hospitals are unrecognisable when you walk into them now compared to the 18 months ago. So it's a safer environment, and we're very aware of how vulnerable people are. But, mm. but cancer doesn't go away. It, it, it comes, stays, and gets worse. And if you're worried about a problem, the earlier you come to us, the better the outcome. So I would encourage your, yeah. your listeners, if they are worried, to come, come seek medical attention. Yeah. We want to see you. It's not that we're too busy. We're not. We're, the sooner we see it, the less treatment you need, the yeah. better your outcome, the better your quality of life. So, in other words, if you if if you feel anyway off, or you think a loved one or a family member is as off, a lump, as a, a, lump, lump, a lump or as bump, as yes, just come, come and see us. Okay, All we're, right. anxious to, we're anxious to see the earlier you see us, the, the less treatment is needed, and the better the outcome. And that's the biggest thing for patients. You know that the, that the earlier they see us, the better things will be. Yeah. Finally, Shemish is on a personal note as, as a doctor working in the system. This must have been an exhausting 18 months. It, it was really, it, it's been very uh, challenging. I think the cyber attack, to be honest with you, was, the, was like the straw that broke the camel's back. Um, for me personally, I, I think also the impact on, on the families of healthcare workers has been phenomenal. Thing. I was vaccinated just, before, just after Christmas and when I arrived home, the children, Claire and Sean and, and Carmel Ann were ecstatic because they were terrified that they would bring COVID home and one of my patients would die as a result. And my vaccination put, you know, put up a, 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 pulled the drawbridge up in terms of that for them. And I totally underestimated the impact of COVID on them and how worried they were about me. And I know that other 
healthcare workers, when you talk to them about their children, they have similar issues, similar concerns. Right. And that's, that's, that's a deeply personal insight. Uh, I, I'm also informed that you have been confirmed into the Royal College of Physicians, Professor O'Reilly. And I want well, to I'm congratulate a, you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. That's um, the, ex, explain how much of an honour that is uh, as a doctor. So the, the, the big thing is, so the, the, my, the biggest thing I've got recently is the Breast International Group. So it's, um, it's an international body looking at covering breast cancer clinical trials in six continents. And, and was elected to the executive board of that. And that's a huge honour. And it, it's great because it gives people in our community a, a vo- in, in Ireland a, a voice in terms of the new cancer trials that will be coming out in the next four to ten years. And uh, so it's great to be able to, I'm very honoured to be, have been selected to, to join this, this body, which is uh, probably yeah. the premier breast cancer group in the world. Yeah, yeah. And then the Royal, the Royal College. Not too so many I'm, people I'm, get conferred into that. Well, I, it, I, that's part of my. I, I'm not. So I'm, I'm a trainer in the Royal College and a director of the of the medical oncology program there. So it's it's wonderful to be able to look after the next generation in our society and to nurture those and to you know to see the people that are going to be looking after looking after the next generation of patients and the next group of you know to, to how who will look after cancer care in our community in the decades ahead. And yeah. That's wonderful. I think the many hundreds and possibly thousands of people that you have helped over the years, Professor, will be proud of you and we wish you congratulations on both the conferring and the other group. And uh, for the many people I know whose journeys you've been part of in part of our Radiothon over the years, uh, congratulations to you and and Professor O'Reilly, thank you for everything that you have done and continue to do. Thank you very much. Thanks. Cheers, Sloan. that's Professor Sloan, Professor Seamus O'Reilly as oncologist at CUH and he's the co-chair also of ARC Cancer Research. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie <laughs> The Cork's 96FM music panel gives you the power to pick our playlist. Click 96FM.ie now. 96FM.ie now. Take the 10-minute survey and you could win a 100-euro shopping voucher. The power to pick what we play. Pick what we play. Join the Quark's 96FM music panel. Find the link on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Find the link on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Or c96fm.ie. Get those pictures into us. Let's get another couple of good ones uh, in of your flags and your bunting and your shirts and your hair and your dyed dog. Whatever. <laughs> we will see that. Dogs dyed. I mean, dyed as in with dye. Jesus. Don't be confusing matters. 1850 715 Love to call. And of course, text to WhatsApp 083 396 We'll be catching up. Uh, returning, in fact, to the story of the Onakura Centre. Uh, we touched on that one last week. It's a long-stay residential and respite mental health facility in Middleton. And it's under threat. It's, it's due to close at the end of October. And we'll be touching base with that story again before the end of the programme. But first, there's a new model agency. 
has opened here in Cork. And it's an unusual modelling agency. Unusual in a number of ways. David Akinwumne, I hope I've got the name right. David, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. I have to give you uh, lots of uh, accolades there. You pronounced that perfectly. Good man, good man. <laughs> and the, 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 the model agency is called Melanin Model Agency. What, what, what is the single difference between it and every other agency out there? I suppose first and foremost, the main difference is it's it's a movement. Um, we can call ourselves the the rebel in the in the modeling agency, if you if you like to, to cater that way. Okay. Uh, as in, we go against all the norms. How do you mean? Okay, so firstly, when you join an agency, typically they would uh, request for your photos. Uh, we don't do that. Um, we focus on the person and the reason why they would like to. Uh, join the movement. We focus on their commitments. We focus on what they aim to achieve in terms of their own personal development. And we take them on on their own individual merits without taking into account their physical physique, whether, you know, the tall, short, white, black, whatever. Uh, all that comes after. So you're saying that looks are not the first thing you, you consider because normally when people are hired for a modeling agency, um, the looks are the first thing, aren't they? It is. That's why I said um, we're not just any other agency. We are very much different. Um, because we believe model modeling, everyone should be able to be a model. You know, um, The industry has set these standards over the years. Standards have been ingrained in people's minds and have also damaged people's minds, including models themselves. So we, we've come along and we're saying, we don't want to be a part of the problem. We want to be a part of the solution. And we want to force people to change as well. Yeah. I, you know, traditionally over the years, if you happen to catch television footage of a, of a big fashion show or whatever, the one thing you would say about the models on the catwalk or the clothes that they're wearing is nobody actually looks like that in real life. Is that what it's about, David? A real life Model. A real life model, basically. That's it. You just hit the nail on the head um, with a hammer, PJ. Um, we want to be able to see people of Cork, people of Dublin, people all around Ireland on billboards, and they're a true reflection of themselves. And other people can see their image in them and can feel inspired to do greater things as well. Um, rather than take someone who is beautiful just the way they are, which is our motto, and then Photoshop them into something that they're not. And then they have to live with looking at that version of themselves that is, I suppose, if you want to call it a pedestal, that they need to live up to, that they can't. I mean, people go through all sorts to maintain a particular weight or any of the above, like, yeah. you know. Like um, models could work. It, Traditionally, models would work. And I remember seeing an interview with one years ago, uh, she'd been one of the world's top models at the time. I can't remember who it was now, but like she would say, for that television shoot that is maybe four minutes over, a, like she would be preparing for that for weeks and weeks, losing yeah. weight, exercising like a lunatic, not eating yeah. for days on end. So by the time she stands up there, it's a totally unrealistic reflection. Exactly, exactly. Um, which actually brings us into um, the part where we we don't actually keep a record of our model's weight or size, um, should I say. So 
basically traditionally people would would be on the system in terms of the, the different sizes or maybe the height so if someone's looking for a model that's a particular size you'd say oh this person you go for that shoes and you know you'd recommend based on that uh, we do the opposite so if a client comes to us and they are looking to model a dress at a size eight we would reach out to our models and say okay we have an assignment for a job which is a size eight so whoever is a size eight at that given moment can actually apply for that role and they'll get it that way um, so what's going to happen is because we're not retaining that information long term for the purpose of booking them, when it comes to, say, January after Christmas, once you've had all your dinner and stuff, you know what I mean? <laughs> and then another client's looking for a size eight. We're not going to automatically come to you and say, oh, because you did a, a size eight job there in November. Now we've got a size eight for you. And then you've got to, like you said, exercise like a lunatic to get down to that size. You know, that pressure shouldn't really be on people. Yeah. So in would, that you, case, would you would say to a client, look, unfortunately, I don't have a size eight for you at the moment? I would be more than happy to say that to a client and say, you know what, do you have a size 10? Or do you have a size six? We've got someone who's, who's a size six and would be able to model that outfit for you. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, it's and another thing I think that, it, it doesn't take it, it doesn't take a whole pile of cop on to know that many many photographs in the fashion world are are photoshopped and altered oh, yeah. and airbrushed and tweaked yes. to within you don't do that we don't um we would do the very very bare minimum i mean we are taking professional photography at the end yes. of the day and yes. there's a certain level of uh, quality that um, that we attain to achieve so you have the bare minimum in terms of skin smoothing but like that's totally different to airbrushing yeah so as you may be familiar with uh recent cameras are very very sharp we use very high quality lenses and it does emphasize those um what we like to call perfect imperfections that we have so like we tone down the sharpness and the clarity on images just to make up for the skin but beyond that it's all about capturing the person in, in the best light and um you know, getting them into more flattering poses and all that. But beyond that, we, yeah. we leave them to be who they are and capture them as they are. Yeah. Is this kind of modelling, David, is it a growing movement? Is it, is it kind of hitting back against the traditional? It absolutely is, PJ. I mean, if you look at the likes of Vogue, Vogue has done uh, numerous campaigns over the last number of years, you know, where they have put what they consider plus-size models on their cover pages and they've done, you know, different um, shoots where they focused on like body roles and stuff like that, like, which is great to see on, you know, a bit on a big platform like that. But I'd say we have new agencies starting up, forming up, and they're still following up in that same footpath. And that's what we're, we're really out now against, you know, where mm. we can challenge people and say, you know what, you can do better. This, you can, this you, is about you, normal yeah. people. Exactly. This is about normal people. This is about um, going from, you know, putting those restrictions in place and opening opening the doors to say, you know, you are beautiful too. And not saying you're not eligible to be a model because you don't fit my personal, you know, view yeah. of models. You know, that kind of way. Yeah. Now, there was another stereotype, of course, over the years, David, and sometimes it wasn't a very nice one, of the, the, the modeling agent... Uh, who's walking down Patrick Street and happens to spot, it's the old story, happens to spot that beautiful young girl walking out of the, 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 the shop 
walks mm. up behind her, offers her an aquarium and says, you're exactly what I want. Does that yeah. happen anymore? Should it ever have happened at all? Um, well, I suppose you do have to leave room for model scouts anyway. That's, that's for sure. Uh, if you had a particular look you're going for. But again, that, that shouldn't be due to the, you know, the physical aspect. I mean, that person, what does that person have to offer beyond their looks? Because we feel that is a lot more important than how one looks today. Uh, for instance, if that person that you speak to ends up having, uh, God forbid, uh, an eating, eating disorder or something, and they gain weight, are you going to drop that model because they no longer fit your image? Um, so when, when, when someone comes and they offer more value than just their looks, then you know you can really work with this person, you yeah. know, and they can obviously improve themselves, develop themselves, gain more confidence, and really get to a point where they can embrace themselves. And we, we focus on that every step of the way. Mm. Suppose, at the end of the day, authenticity in everything. That's it, yeah. Right. That's it. So how many models have you got on the books now? And how do, I, how do you recruit or are you recruiting? Um, we are recruiting. Uh, we've recruited 20 models currently. They're all signed to the agency uh, as of now. And I actually just checked the figures there before the call. Um, we've got about 47 people still on the waiting list. We are still taking applications. Um, so our official recruitment date is not until December where we will take on more people, but we're just really focused on those who we have on the books right now to get them to a point where when we open the doors and let more people in in December, that they can have a direct impact on those uh, new recruits. So that's the way we're on at the moment. So it's a four-stage recruitment process. Yeah, that's a, that's uh, a fair size for a Cork agency, traditionally. It is, it is. Um, considering Cork, uh, some people may say Cork is not on the map, but we are very much on the map, you know. Uh, it is starting to gather momentum. A lot of people are realizing, you know, this, there is something here, like, you know? Okay. All right. Well, good luck for the future with it, uh, David. And it's Melanin, it's the, Melanin Ireland is the agency. How can people yes, find you? Are you on the web? Are you on Facebook? Where are you? Yes, we're actually, we're literally everywhere uh, with the username Melanin Ireland. And our website is melanin.ie. Okay, melanin.ie. David, thank you very much. David Akin Mumni, who's the director of Melanin Model Agency. It's a new one on me. Uh, it's a lovely concept. A modeling agency for ordinary people. 1857 Opinion line on Cork's 96 FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Thanks for all your nominations and votes in the Cork's 96 FM Best of Cork Awards. Now it's time to reveal your favorites. Stay listening all day Friday as we reveal this year's winners. Best of Cork Awards with localheroes.ie. Find trusted local plumbers, electricians, locksmiths, and more with a 12 month guarantee backed by Board Gosh Energy. Only on Cork's 96 FM. More messages coming in about Professor Seamus O'Reilly, a fantastic man. I've been seeing him for the last number of years from a very grateful patient. Uh, loads of them, loads of them, and great news that uh, he has been conferred into the Royal College of Physicians where he'll be teaching 
important training the next generation of doctors. 1850-715-996. Now, we, we touched on this a week or 10 days ago, it is at this stage. The Ona Curra Centre beside Middleton Community Hospital. And we spoke to a local activist very concerned about plans to close the centre at the end of October. And in the course of that conversation, we mentioned Councillor Liam Quaid, who's a member of the Green Party and represents the Middleton East Cork area. So we've been following up on the situation now with uh, Councillor Quaid. Liam, last week on the programme, we spoke to a supporter of the unit, very concerned about A, what's going to happen to it and what's going to happen to the now residents and those who use it on a, a respite basis and all that. Like, break it down a little bit for me, Liam, just as an aside. How many live there? How many use it on a day-to-day basis, coming and going, as it were? And how many would use it for respite? So, the Unicor Centre is currently home to 19 residents, some of whom have lived there for many years. The local community mental health team would also refer in people to, to, to its day service. So, that was depends on, kind of, at any given time, it, it, it may change. Yeah. Um, I know that the respite service was suspended during COVID. Um, my understanding is that prior to that, there would have been a few beds there for respite on an ongoing basis. Um, the irreplaceable value of the facility lies in its town-centred location, so it's absolutely ideal for community integration of the residents. They're within walking distance from local services, from public transport, shops, the bank, uh, leisure facilities, courses they may be attending. Um, and the HSE's own policy on uh, rehabilitation of people with severe and enduring mental health difficulties actually emphasises the importance of community integration and of facilitating family contact. Yeah. Um, the, the HSE has actually been strongly criticised in the past for not meeting the needs of this client group and mm-hmm. for providing institutional care instead of community-based yeah. placement and rehabilitation. So the Onicora Centre has actually been an exception to this trend. Yeah. And one family member of a resident there described the service as transformative and life-saving for their relative. Yeah. And I've heard similar reports from other family members. What um, I'm given to understand, Liam, is that the place is a bit, shall we say, shabby and, and run down. And, and to do it up wouldn't be cost-effective. So they decide to move it elsewhere. Is is that a fair rationale for what's going on here? Well, the, the I suppose the stated rationale so far from local management has been that on foot of um, kind of um, the concerns raised by the Mental Health Commission, um, you know, around the premises that they have carried out their own building assessments. Now, this has created a lot of confusion because um, although we were told that the Mental Health Commission expressed concern repeatedly about the premises, I looked further into those reports from recent years and found that the concerns raised were actually um, quite minor and involved issues that would be easily addressed without a great deal of cost. So I contacted the Mental Health Commission and I was curious to see what their latest report would reveal. It wasn't published at that stage and um, it it was released last week. And that actually continued a trend of very positive reports. Um, it, it didn't really align that no amount of refurbishments could bring the building up to a standard required. So that's, that's what I was getting to, Liam, that like, there's nothing there contrary to what we were given to believe or contrary to what we, the, the message seems to be. There's nothing there that couldn't be fixed up. There's nothing in the Mental Health Commission inspection reports. Now, I have sought the, the, the HSE's own building reports. I wrote a very long letter 
to the most senior manager in, in HC South nine days ago and I saw those reports and I also put a lot of questions about the rationale for torture. Has HICWA examined the place? Um, it, it, it wouldn't fall under HICWA, it would be the Mental Health Commission. Okay. okay. Um, but I have yet to receive those reports. The request was followed up by a Green Party TD last week. We haven't yet heard back. Um, so I suppose th- this has created a c- quite a lot of confusion. And the other, the other confusing part of this is one of the briefings said that they would be putting client safety at risk if they didn't close the centre. Um, you know, and therefore it was a very pressing uh, rationale to close. No, like that, that would give this that would give the suggestion that there's something seriously wrong with the building, and clearly you you found no evidence that that's the case. Well, I suppose that would also raise the question: Why would you have the residents in there for 17 weeks um, in between the the closure announcement and the, the uh, projected closure date, if there was? such a, a level of, of severe risk. Yeah. They, they talked about infection control risk as well. Um, so, you know, these are grave issues, but we have yet to see the evidence for them. I'm not yeah. saying that they don't exist, mm. but I think for a decision that has such far-reaching implications for such a vulnerable client group who are currently residing there, but also future uh, service users who, who would, uh, you know, avail of placements, yeah. I think we really need to see the evidence. We sought those building assessment reports, and for me, they may um, they, they may provide a justification for a temporary closure of of this facility, but they 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 will not provide a justification for a permanent closure because the loss of this service, this essential service for the area, is you know it's it, it's unthinkable. Now it's in around ten weeks to the proposed closure date at the end of October. Do you think there's any way to halt this plan? Well, I know that um, I'll be doing everything that I can to do so. Um, I've I've written to all of the the other local reps here, councillors and TDs. Um, I've sought a meeting with myself and um, Nasa Harrigan, the Green Party spokesperson for health and mental health, mm. um, with a, with a family member representative. So, you know, there is a window of time here, and we, we will be doing everything in, in our power. And when I spoke to the a supporter recently on the programme. And correct me if I'm wrong here, I'm given to understand that if even if the worst does come to the worst, there's no alternative location yet. Yeah, and I suppose... I Is that true? Want, I, I wouldn't want to speculate where people may be placed... Um, but I think what's, what's a key consideration here is there is no comparable service in East Cork. And the Mental Health Commission has criticised any out-of-area out of placements that have taken place here over the years. They've also pointed to the UK where it's regarded as a failed policy to take p- vulnerable people out of their communities for mental health rehabilitation. It simply it doesn't work. So what's the next step here? The next step is we're, we're very eager to look at those building assessment reports to see is there a justification for a temporary closure and I think we're a long way off that justification. And, and are they I, I, something I you're entitled to access as a public representative? Absolutely, I mean this is a, this is a public service um, it, it doesn't make any sense that these reports yeah. wouldn't be you know, transparently available to, to, to the public in general, not to mind public representatives How long more are you going to give the HSE to come back to you? Well, I, I suppose it'll be up to them how long how long they come back, but I'll, I'll be continuing to to make representations and to escalate the matter. Okay. Okay. Liam, 
we're very interested in this story and we'll be, fo- we'll be following it over the coming weeks and months. So, so do stay in touch with us. Yeah, and I, I think it's important to note that, you know, sometimes these decisions can go under the radar. They may not be picked up. They may be subject to a parliamentary question or two. But this is a decision that's going to be subject to a very forensic analysis. All right. Liam, thanks for being with us today. Thank you, PJ. That's uh, Councillor Liam Quaid speaking to me there. Uh, in fact, yes, it was. And we, on the foot of that interview, we asked for a response from HSE on the Onakura Centre, which we got this morning. Uh, and they, they finish by saying that they acknowledge the contact and the correspondence from Councillor Quaid and they'll be in direct contact with him as soon as possible. But the body of their response, which runs to, to a couple of pages, they give the background, obviously. They, they give the, uh, they confirm that they've informed staff, residents and the regulator that the centre will close on a phased basis by October 31st. They say initially they planned to refurbish the building but as work progressed, it became clear that that wouldn't be enough to bring the building to the high standard, which we strive for in all of our services and to meet the needs of current and future residents. In June, according to HSE, our own building experts, HSE Estates, advised that they had discovered the building was in very poor condition with major defects. They said even if refurbishment took place, they couldn't guarantee that the refurbished building would meet current building requirements or be regarded as fit for purpose. While there's no immediate danger or risk to anybody, it was made clear to us, this is HSE saying this, it was made clear to us that no amount of expenditure could bring the building to an acceptable standard. It was this advice from our own experts which led us to take the difficult but necessary decision to close the centre. HSE says everybody's priority now is the welfare of the 19 residents. We're working with each resident to agree with them an appropriate alternative placement, taking account of their preference and individual needs. This work includes consulting with each resident and their families and loved ones as appropriate so we can agree a plan. We repeat that residents will be moved on a phased basis and only after detailed consultation and discussion. We're also working, they say, with the staff at the centre and with their representative bodies. And to repeat, as we said at the start, uh, the end, the statement from HSE says that they acknowledge and that they received uh, correspondence from Councillor Quaid and we will be in direct contact with him as soon as possible. And uh, we will follow up on that one. And Liam Quaid will, I no doubt, come back to us uh, when he hears back. Quick one before we go. Premier League Live back this Saturday on 96rm.ie with Trevor Welsh, all powered by TalkSport, bringing you live coverage of Liverpool v Burnley at 12.30, Manchester City v Norwich at 3, and Brighton against Watford at 5.30. A long and busy day once again for Trevor and the team. They were back last Saturday. It sounded like they'd never been away in fine fettle. And the Premier League Live online with Now. Stream live Premier League action with a Now Sports or Sports Extra membership. Your sport on your terms. Streaming only the games that matter to you most with Now. And listen, Saturday on the Cork's 96FM app or indeed go to 96fm.ie. That's it from the Opinion Line for today. The programme edited by Fergal Barry, produced and researched by Katie O'Keefe. And we'll see you tomorrow, just after nine. Can we just talk?
The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.